The following three-part podcast series is intended for institutional investors who are interested in understanding the Bitcoin investment thesis from the perspective of a professional money manager. Your host, Chris Arbuthnot, is a chartered financial analyst and earned his MBA from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. During his career in asset management, Chris has managed both equity mutual fund portfolios as well as multi-asset class hedge fund portfolios. Chris has been profiled in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, and Barron's, and has received numerous industry awards, including being named a rising star by institutional investor, as well as earning the top overall score across all U.S.-based mutual fund categories in Bloomberg Markets annual rankings. An excellent communicator with a passion for investing, Chris has eliminated the noise around the Bitcoin investment thesis so that institutional investors can focus only on what matters when evaluating Bitcoin as an investable asset class. You won't find another Bitcoin podcast like this. Welcome to the Bitcoin Investment Thesis podcast series brought to you by crypto advisors and hosted by me, Chris Arbuthnot, in my career as a hedge fund and mutual fund portfolio manager, I have never come across an investment opportunity that I think is as attractive as Bitcoin. And I'm going to explain why across three parts in this podcast series. Part one, which is this podcast, discusses the core investment thesis. In part two, I go into greater detail regarding the two main drivers of demand for Bitcoin. I also address Bitcoin's volatility and some other Bitcoin FUD that's out there. And in part three, I discuss Bitcoin mining, which I think is critically important to understanding Bitcoin and gaining conviction in it because Bitcoin's digital money and therefore you have to have confidence in the underlying technology behind it. Now, real quick, before I start, I just want to put a disclaimer in here. I'm not a fiduciary. I'm not a registered investment advisor. This is not an investment recommendation. This is my opinion. So what is Bitcoin? Well, it's a new emerging digital commodity money that society is adopting because there's an erosion of trust underway in the fiat money system due to reckless global and fiscal monetary policies that are only made possible because the world's money no longer is backed by gold and because there's demand for digital money due to the efficiencies it creates. And just a quick lesson on the three types of money that society has used for thousands and thousands of years. There's commodity money. That's what we've used for 99% of civilization. And that's money that society organically identifies and begins adopting due to its attractive money qualities with its purchasing power determined via supply and demand and not any government. And then there's paper money backed by a commodity, which has only been used sparingly because it never lasts long term because governments always end the exchangeability during a crisis because the alternative is too painful for its citizens to endure. And then there's paper money backed by nothing. And that's the system that we've been using since 1971 when Richard Nixon signed an executive order no longer allowing foreign central banks to exchange their dollars that they held for our gold. Even though to convince the world to adopt the dollar as the world's reserve currency, which we did in 1944 at Brenton Woods, to convince countries that they could trust us, that the, that the dollar would maintain its value, we said to them, at any point in time, you can exchange your dollars for our gold at a fixed exchange rate of $35 an ounce. That's what convinced them to go ahead and, and adopt the dollar to replace gold. And then in 1971, we effectively reneged on that when inflation in the U.S. was causing the purchasing power of the dollar to decline. And so foreign central banks were increasingly asking to exchange their dollars for our gold. And because we didn't want our gold reserves to be depleted, we ended that exchangeability. And then the entire world at that point was now using fiat money, which is money backed by nothing other than a promise that it can be trusted to maintain its purchasing power. So why is Bitcoin so special? 
Well, it was specifically designed by its anonymous creator, who goes by the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto, to be the perfect money system because, A, it's technically superior when you analyze it objectively. It's technically superior to every other money in history. And B, makes the entire financial system more efficient because it doesn't require an intermediary like a bank or a credit card company to make electronic payments between two parties, meaning it's basically just like using cash. Okay, so there are five qualities that matter when you're analyzing money. How divisible is it into small units? Something that gold is not good at, which is why paper money backed by gold was invented. How portable is the money? How durable is it? How verifiable is it? Meaning it's not a forgery. And lastly, the most important quality of money, how scarce it is, because that defines how easy it is to manipulate the supply in the future. And the more the supply of a money increases over time, the less valuable it becomes and the less purchasing power it has. And one of the reasons why gold's been around for 5,000 years is because it's naturally scarce. It doesn't matter what the price is, the supply is going to grow less than 3% a year. Now, in terms of Bitcoin, why it's so special, it scores an A on each metric. It's either equivalent or exceeds fiat money, and gold on every single money metric. And so it's technically superior money. Each Bitcoin is subdivisible into 100 million units known as Satoshis. It's digital, and so it's perfectly portable and durable. It uses cryptographic digital signatures to make it 100% verifiable. And it's a scarce asset because it has a fixed supply of 21 million that will never, ever increase no matter what. And that's because when the price of, of Bitcoin increases and more miners begin mining Bitcoin because it's more profitable to do so, there's an automatic difficulty adjustment that kicks in that makes it harder to mine Bitcoin so that Bitcoin can follow a predetermined supply schedule. So this basically makes Bitcoin the first commodity money in history where a higher price doesn't lead to more supply, but instead just a more secure network because the more miners there are, the more secure the network becomes. It's like Fort Knox adding layers of security as the price of gold rises. It's ingenious because it makes your money more secure the more valuable it becomes, which is what you would want. And is one of the many reasons why Bitcoin hodlers are so passionate about it because they believe it may be the last commodity money that society ever needs to adopt because its supply is guaranteed to never increase in the future. And a higher price just makes it more secure. And while the idea that Bitcoin could be the last commodity money that society ever adopts may sound ridiculous on the surface, when you think about that gold's been around for 5,000 years, in part due to its scarcity, then it doesn't sound so ridiculous anymore especially once you recognize why Bitcoin is so superior to gold and fiat money as a medium of exchange. Okay, so I've just established why Bitcoin is superior to every other money in history, but equally important, it also makes the entire financial system more efficient because it supports direct money technology, a feature not available with today's money unless you're using cash, which most people don't use much of anymore because it's not convenient. I mean, if you just look at the U.S., only 7% of the money supply is in bills or coins. The rest is simply an entry on a ledger somewhere that says X person or Y entity owns Z amount of money. So in order for payments to be made between two parties when money is recorded on a ledger, one of two things needs to happen. Either A, the money needs to move from one ledger to a different ledger that has a different owner, or B, the money doesn't move off the ledger, but the ownership of the, le of the ledger changes to reflect the new owner. With Bitcoin, it never moves off the ledger that it's recorded on, just the ownership changes, updated by the miners who don't receive the Bitcoins they've just mined until they successfully update the network with the transactions that have occurred since the last time the network was updated. Compare this to fiat money, the system that we use today, it sits on thousands of different ledgers at different banks. And so when two parties want to make payments, then the two bank ledgers need to communicate with each other. 
and reconcile their ledgers. So you can imagine where it can take days to make payments between banks because of the different ledgers that are scattered throughout the world and that need to communicate with each other. With the Bitcoin network, because the same Bitcoin never moves off the ledger it's first recorded on, you can send Bitcoin payments almost instantaneously between parties, no matter where in the world they're located, just as long as they have access to an internet connection. And it's 24-7 because the Bitcoin network has no downtime, whereas the banking system only operates during banking hours. And then obviously gold, I mean, if you compare using Bitcoin to gold, it can take weeks to send gold around the world. Not only that, but you have to pay for insurance, transportation, and audit purity costs. So there's just no comparison between using gold and using Bitcoin. Okay, so I've just established why Bitcoin is considered superior to every other money in history and why its direct money technology makes the entire financial system more efficient because it allows for faster, cheaper, and more secure transactions between parties. But the question I always get is, well, aren't there 19,000 other cryptocurrencies? And so why Bitcoin? It's a great question. And the answer is because commodity money is a network effect and Bitcoin was first. Think of it this way. Just like if you're thinking about joining a professional network, are you going to join LinkedIn with its millions of users or an upstart, which is a few thousand? You're going to join LinkedIn. It's the same thing with money. You want to join a money network where there are more users because the money has more utility. This is one reason why gold has survived for so long as money, even though the technology sucks. And that's because once you establish a sizable lead over your competitors, like Bitcoin has today, it becomes impossible for them to overtake you because the lead grows over time due to the utility of a money network growing at an increasing rate with each new adopter because each new adopter can connect with everyone already on the network. Okay, so that means each incremental adopter adds more utility to the network than the previous adopter. And because new adopters want to join the money network with the most users and utility, that is the incumbent network that benefits the incumbent network. So this network effect grows over time. Consider this. There are two countries that have adopted Bitcoin as legal tender, El Salvador and the Central African Republic. And according to the media, you know, I don't know if you can believe this, but there are 44 other countries that are currently exploring whether or not to adopt a cryptocurrency as legal tender. Now, these countries are not developed market countries. These are countries that have weak currencies. Each one of these countries is only looking at Bitcoin and not anything else. And why? Because Bitcoin as money provides the most utility which is why they would adopt it. Because when they're considering adopting a new currency, it's not like a stock where they're looking for something that's attractively priced or maybe cheap. With money, what matters is how trustworthy is it? How credible is it? How big is the network? And that favors the incumbent money. Okay, so now I've established why Bitcoin is superior to every other money in history, why it makes the entire financial system more efficient, and why network effects create a winner-take-all dynamic, effectively giving Bitcoin a global monopoly on digital commodity money, despite adoption still being in the first inning. But how do you explain the price rise from a dollar a decade ago to the current price? Well, the price rises as society gains trust in Bitcoin and adopts it, because adoption is demand. And so demand against a limited supply pushes the price up. So you just think of it this way. At the beginning in 2009, the first Bitcoin was mined. It had no value because it had no adopters, because it had no utility as money, because no one trusted it as money. But as Bitcoin built trust with society, given its attractive money qualities I've already discussed, and more of society began adopting it, it gained purchasing power relative to the only way society can buy it, which is with fiat currency, which means that Bitcoin price appreciates relative to every fiat currency and not just U.S. dollars as more of society adopts it. I know this concept may sound confusing 
confusing, but, but think about it in terms of gold. Gold had no purchasing power on day one, thousands and thousands of years ago. Society didn't wake up one morning and say gold is worth X amount per ounce. Instead, society began slowly adopting it because of its attractive money qualities, and so it gained purchasing power relative to what was used to buy it. In other words, as gold built trust, just like Bitcoin is today, that led to adoption. And so that's why the price can rise over time from a very low level to its current price and why it will continue to rise in the future as adoption continues. What the skeptics get wrong about Bitcoin is it's not a security. You know, hear Warren Buffett call it rat poison. You hear all these other famous people call all these horrible things. And it's because they say it has no intrinsic value. Therefore, it must be some sort of speculative bubble. Well, if you're analyzing it on a cash flow basis, yeah, of course it's got no value. Money doesn't yield anything. The intrinsic value of money is trust. That's why it says in God we trust on the back of every currency denomination in the U.S., That $20 bill in your pocket yields nothing. That gold coin in your safe yields nothing. The only way money yields anything is if you lend it out and you take counterparty risk. The intrinsic value of money is trust. It's not cash flow based. And so whenever someone who's an expert in security analysis tells you there's no intrinsic value to Bitcoin, well, you know what that means? It means they're using the wrong framework to analyze it. And building trust isn't something that happens overnight. It takes time. It's a process. The way I like to think about it with Bitcoin, every single day that the Bitcoin price doesn't crash to zero, it builds trust. Every day that the Bitcoin network isn't hacked, it builds trust. Every day that the Bitcoin supply schedule isn't altered, it builds trust. Every day that a new country considers adopting Bitcoin as legal tender, it builds trust. Every day that a new merchant begins accepting Bitcoin as money, it builds trust and so on and so on. And so trust is a process that involves overcoming lots of doubt about everything related to it. And it's subjective because the concerns or doubts that one person may have in one country may not be shared by someone else with different life experiences. And just like you trust someone more who you've known a long time, more than someone you've just met, the same is true with Bitcoin. The longer you see it functioning in society as money, the more confidence you have in its resiliency, which builds trust. Now, this trust building process that Bitcoin is currently undertaking isn't helped by the fact there are no natural defenders of Bitcoin, meaning there's no central bank head like a Jerome Powell to come out and talk about. There's no CEO. There's no PR team to explain it, let alone address the negative headlines or what is known as Bitcoin FUD when it services. But long term, this lack of a sponsor actually is what makes it stronger because every time Bitcoin recovers from a large price drop driven by FUD, it overcomes all by itself organically the negative narratives that drove the price down in the first place while also validating the positive narrative that it can't be stopped, which what does that do? It builds trust. And so to recap, as society adopts Bitcoin, it pushes the price up, which is why Bitcoin has been the best performing asset class by far over the past decade, compounding 140% a year. And there's no reason to believe it can't continue at that pace because the total value of all Bitcoins, the market value is still a fraction of its total addressable market, an addressable market that is growing alongside not only the global money supply, but also every asset in the world that is currently priced in fiat currency, but that could be sold and then converted into Bitcoin. And the adoption curve, that Bitcoin is following suggests adopters will grow by 10x in less than eight years and 40x in less than 20 years. At the same time, the daily supply of new Bitcoins mined, which is used to satisfy demand, is shrinking by 50% every four years due to Bitcoin's predetermined supply schedule. Today, there are about 900 Bitcoins being mined. And in 2024, that will drop to about 450 per day. And then in 2028, that will drop to 225 per day. The only way Simple supply and demand. The only way growing demand can be absorbed via less and less supply is through higher prices, period. Just simple supply and demand. 
And so higher prices, what does that do? Well, that attracts more miners, which increases the security of the network because it becomes harder to hack. Higher prices in a more secure network validates Bitcoin further as money, which increases its legitimacy, which leads to more acceptance by society. More acceptance encourages new adopters and larger allocations from existing adopters, which increases demand for Bitcoin. And around and around we go in a virtuous cycle of adoption and trust. And so if Bitcoin compounds at the same rate, 140% a year over the next five years, that it compounded over the past decade, then a dollar will turn into $80 or $500,000 will turn into $40 million. To be clear, I'm not predicting that Bitcoin will generate those returns necessarily over the next five years. But long term, it's going to continue to go up. It's going to continue to rise because it correlates with adoption, which we know is continuing. But I get it. If you're based in the U.S. and use dollars as money, which I think most people that are listening to this are, and you're not paying attention, well, it's difficult to understand what Bitcoin represents. And that's because the U.S. dollar is the strongest and most stable currency in the world. And so the U.S. is the last place on earth to look for clues as to what Bitcoin represents. Okay, so as I wrap this up, If you're still skeptical about Bitcoin, just remember, everyone starts the journey in the exact same spot, highly skeptical. And that's because everything about Bitcoin is new to everybody. No one alive today has witnessed the emergence of a new commodity money, not even Warren Buffett. Therefore, no one alive today has a frame of reference to understand it which is why it's so misunderstood. And just remember, if everybody already understood what Bitcoin is, then the investment opportunity wouldn't exist because the price would already be much higher because adoption would be much greater than it is today. Just ask yourself this question. How many people do you know personally that actually understand Bitcoin? I only know a handful of people personally that truly, truly understand it. And so there are a lot of new incremental buyers out there that are gonna push the price up. And so if you're buying Bitcoin now, You're front running the mass adoption of a new commodity money, which is why the investment opportunity is not only just so attractive, but also so rare. And in five to 10 years, when the Bitcoin price, in my opinion, is trading in the millions, people are going to look back and be like, what just happened? How did Bitcoin go from a dollar in 2011 to the millions today? How is that possible? Well, it's because the event was very rare. It's not often that society adopts a new commodity money. And when it happens, it creates a wealth transfer from old money holders to new money holders, from fiat money holders to Bitcoin holders. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you found my discussion on Bitcoin and the investment thesis to be compelling. I encourage you to listen to part two of the podcast series where I dig deeper into the drivers of demand for Bitcoin, which are demand for digital money due to the efficiencies it creates and demand for an alternative currency due to an erosion of trust underway in the fiat money system. I also discuss Bitcoin's volatility and address some common Bitcoin FUD. And then in part three, I explain Bitcoin mining and the three functions it serves. If you want to learn more about Bitcoin, I encourage you to follow me on LinkedIn and follow me on Twitter. It'll help you connect the dots faster.